Hi, uh, this is Art Levine uh, with Oregon Music News and cross-publishing with... Medium.com. I want to welcome our guest and tell you a little about him. It's the uh, extraordinary Chris Thomas King. Uh, and I have a number of questions to ask him, but first I want to tell our readers and listeners a little bit about Chris. Um, Chris is really one of the country's most eclectic and talented blues musician, and he's played in all sorts of genres. He's perhaps best known to the general public as uh, a star of the movie Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, in which he played uh, 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 the character based on Tommy Johnson and sang uh, amazing songs and also got a lot of recognition. But he's also well-known also to blues critics and fans of blues as being a major innovator. And he's equally adept in all forms of blues. He's uh, melded hip-hop with blues, plays great electric guitar uh, as, as well as acoustic. And I had the honor of seeing him perform a solo show uh, at the Westminster Church in Washington, D.C. recently and blew everyone away. And this week, everyone in D.C. is lucky, and so will fans in northwest northwest part of the country when uh, he made tour there again. He's playing at Blues Alley this week, Thursday, uh, August 29th through September 1st, Sunday, two shows. And he's with his full band, and it's going to be a great show. So, uh, Chris, welcome to Oregon Music News. Thanks for having me, Art. And I wanted to ask, start with a few uh, basic uh, kind of questions. Is your um, your well known, uh, you know, initially in terms of major public attention through uh, playing uh, acoustic blues and and, and being a, a great uh, interpreter and and also creator of uh, acoustic and delta blues, but. You 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 started much earlier than that uh, back in the mid '80s, well before. So, can you tell me a little bit about how you got involved with the blues and the role of your father, Tabby Thomas, and what led to your? How did you get uh, you know brought up in the blues to become the artist you are today? How did, what were some of the first steps for you? Yeah, well, the, the most crucial point of my um, formative years were, uh, you know, of, of music was uh, in my dad's uh, blues club, Tabby's Blues Box, which was um, located in um, in the river uh, town of Baton Rouge and near downtown. And he opened um, his club, Tabby's Blues Box, named after my father. Rock and Tabby Thomas, who was a blues musician and blues artist who recorded for fellow records and was, was very friendly with legends like Slim Hoppo and, and, uh, Lightning Slim and those, and those guys. And, uh, so he opened his club, uh, he got the keys to that little place in 1979 and kind of got it going in early 1980. And I, at, at the time I was about 15 going on 16 or something. And uh, I was already playing music, but um, as far as the blues go, it was during those years that um, I was working in the family joke joint, basically, that I absorbed um, a lot of the music, a lot of the cultural influences, and, and kind of really understood what the music was, um, 
as being a part of the culture or you know as opposed to like some musicians come to it as an influence or on the outside looking in or or, or being admirers of, of some of the purveyors of the music right but um you know it, it's a it's a it's a cultural thing for me you know the whole louisiana blues thing right and so that's that, that's my roots that's the most crucial part my first album came out in 86 on our huli records um Arhuli, for people that don't know, is a folk label, and these days that they're um, associated with the Smithsonian Institute in Washington, D.C., and as a matter of fact, it was a folklorist um, from the Washington, uh, D.C. Uh, Smithsonian that, quote-unquote, discovered me. Um, around the time that my dad opened that that jib joint. Right now, who tell me about that first discovery? Because you have a a song on one of your recent albums in which you, uh, which is Hotel Voodoo. You have you have a song called Voodoo Child on Hell's Highway, and where you make reference to kind of an epiphany, uh, thinking, looking at yourself as a, maybe looking back at yourself as being a, an artifact and discovered by the Smithsonian. And you just said you put air quotes around discovered so tell me a little bit about the actual interactions or what led to that first Arhuli contract and what what you intended to do with that Arhuli contract and what ended up being created well um, I was my discovery uh, as it goes you know I was you know most people who know something about the blues story uh, at least the popular idea of what this music is or the story of it, they'll be familiar with Robert Johnson. They'll be familiar with Sunhouse, probably Muddy Waters. Right. They'll be familiar with what they call folk blues. Or right. The folk blues in the 1960s. Right. That um, reintroduced a lot of these musicians to popular rock audiences and right. things like that. When the popular rock audience found out that their heroes like Eric Clampton, uh, Pink Floyd, you know, Rolling Stones and those kinds of acts would name drop these guys or record their songs. Then some people in America wanted to discover more about their rock and roll, uh, the roots of rock and roll, not necessarily the blues, but the right. roots of rock and roll. So anyway, I was, I'd be, uh, you know, so a decade later, I became like the last of the those discoveries you know the last, you know it started probably with uh lead belly is a, probably a good person of, as an anchor or the prototype of what they started this thing with right but it really came to fruition in the 60s sure and i was the last of the one from the 20th century to be brought into the music business as kind of a uh, an anthropology, anthro, an, uh, you know, kind of an anthropology experiment or some kind of folk representative of a bygone culture or something. So that and 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 the labels that were interested in that type of thing were what we call folk labels, and they weren't necessarily trying to compete with, uh, you know, pop radio, so to speak. They were more. Their their buyers were more uh, music collectors and aficionados and and you know people who gravitated toward you know that type of um, it was like a, a sphere of music 
of the music business that was a bit snobbish, but more dealt with people like me, like I said in the song, as artifacts, you know, and, right. and as something to be traded or shown off in a museum. Right, right, but, right. But, um, but the, the folklore is Nick Spitzer. He wrote a letter to Chris Drackwood, uh in Berkeley, California, which is where Hooli Records were based. Right. And uh, and he wrote around to a few different people, and Chris Drackwood decided he would be the one that would bring me, you know, to the attention of the world and make my first album. And that came out. It took a few years to get it released, but it came out in 1986. How old, How old were you then? Uh, when I signed the deal, probably about 20, 19 or 20. Right. When the album came out, I was about 20. It took a couple of years, so I was about 21. I know I was at least 21 when the album came out. Sure. And that, and that got me to, to traveling abroad. And, uh, and I've been, you know, pretty much on this path ever since. Right. So one of the things that's very interesting is that um, at at some at 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 a point sometime in the nineties, you became very interested in trying to uh, few, and you actually recorded an, uh, uh, a note a noted album, Twenty First Century Blues from the Hood. Um, I wanted to understand um, you got very interested in the nineties and wanting to fuse uh, hip hop, which obviously was a, the emerging uh, uh, you know. Music form uh, d deeply rooted in African American music traditions, but very modern in, in, in lots lots of ways. What got you interested in wanting to um, fuse um, hip hop with blues? And walk me through and our readers a little bit about what you went through to make the album and what kind of reaction you had afterwards. Well, um, in a, in a, in a, to try to put it succinctly, I am. Uh Hip hop. I'm 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 from that gen. That's my generation's music. Right. So whenever I went to parties with my friends or hung out with 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 my friends or or you know the circles that I traveled in, you know that that was the music people listened to. Right. Um, you know, um, as a guitarist uh, in the '80s, I mean, you had you know the whole the whole MTV big hair, you know, loud, you know. Spandex wearing, uh, you know, bands, you know, doing their thing on MTV, but that was like coming from Planet Mars, you know, as far as where I was coming from musically. Right, and, um, right. You know, as, as a guitar player, uh, but uh, but but hip hop is was, you know, that's what you know, that's I go to a house party or a cookout or whatever it is, and that that music was always creeping in i mean it was it wasn't it wasn't the dominant music in the 80s but it was the kind of the bad the, the music that was the bad boy music or the music that was kind of underground bubbling up right right by, by the time nwa and and you know public enemy and some other bands started really in the early 90s started really um um getting their voice heard over those who were just you know doing the music as just a a dance uh, culture uh, and they put a lot of street energy and, uh, you know, a harder edge to it and some politics, you know, then it kind of got real in a sense. And, um, and so, um, that's more, that for my generation, that's more natural where people I grew up with had no idea. They had no references for Sunhouse or they had no reference for Tommy Johnson or, or the Boo. So right. not my generation. And, they, and today they, 
they still haven't gravitated there, you know, in, in many ways. But uh, I said I was going to try to keep it tight here. No, that's okay. I, I'm very interested in this because this is but, but, one of the identi- but, th- signal achievements you in your career. So I just want a little know about it. Go ahead. Yeah. But um, having said a little background there, what ends up, what ended up happening is I, uh, I was picked up after my Huli debut by Warner Brothers Records. Right. And Warner Brothers at the time had uh, me on the label. They had Ice T and Body Count on the label, and they were doing a. They were coming from hip hop and adding guitar to their music. I was coming as a guitar player from from the blues, right. but then bringing the hip hop element. Their album came out a couple of um, months before mine did and caused a lot of controversy with a song called Cop Killer. Sure. And Warner Brothers, Warner Brothers froze and didn't want to release my record because my record had songs on it called Kill Somebody Tonight and, and you know, had a lot of other hard-edged things about, you know, meeting at the crossroads with the police and stuff like this. And so they got cold feet. And, and But more than that, it was kind of like the Bob Dylan situation where the folk... Um, the folk um, purists, so to speak, sure. uh, celebrated Bob Dylan in his, in his early career. And then when Bob Dylan went electric, they, they turned on him sure. and, you know, said he was an imposter. Uh, and I, I, I got some of those bows and arrows as well from a lot of um, blues purists, uh, blues folk purists that had championed me, the folklorists and these kinds of, you know, people that have some kind of, you know, anthropologic, you know, view of what I was doing. Right. So that I was, it was blasphemous for me to start using drum machines, you know, um, you know, um, digital recording, you know, digital sampling, you know, and all these things that they kind of were curious about. Uh, I was moving forward with my music and doing music that I enjoyed, that, that, that was a part of my world. Right. But, uh, and I got, I got treated kind of, like how Bob Dylan got treated, where it got to a point where people wouldn't book me on festivals. I couldn't really work in the States. I, uh, because of all the controversy, uh, Warner wouldn't put out my album, and I ended up moving to Europe. And I lived in Europe for some years until I decided, you know, I didn't want to remain in Europe like some jazz and blues musicians had done. I, I had found some success in Scandinavia and in, and in Paris, but I decided... I would move back to the United States and just let the chips fall where they may, and I, I wouldn't run from my culture. I'd come back and try to and try to um, you know fight for my space in my own culture because I felt like I was being alienated from. It. Right. So I moved back to I moved back to New Orleans around ninety seven, ninety six. Is and, that is uh, that after when you moved back to New Orleans? Is that after the release of the? Uh, that would have been after the release. Uh, by the way, was the 21st Century Blues album released in uh, Europe first, then in America? I'm sorry to interrupt you, but just where did it yeah, fit? Yeah, it was, it was recorded in Copenhagen, Denmark. Right. Uh, and, you know, it began in like 89, 90 or something. I had some tapes. And then um, recording stopped, and I ended up uh, moving over to Europe and finished it over there. Right. And... Uh, basically re-recorded, you know, basically recorded the whole thing in Copenhagen. Sure. And I wasn't planning on coming back to the States. And um, as the record got passed around to some different people, John Porter, uh, who had just um, had a big success with um, Buddy Guy's Damn Right I Got the Blues, right, uh, wrote to me over in Copenhagen and uh, enticed me to come back 
to Los Angeles and you know, he said that he had a good thing going with this new company called House of Blues that was starting up. And that he um you know, so basically I came back and signed a deal with with RCA, um a kind of a House of Blues slash RCA major label. Sure. And you know, it it it, 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 it took off in Europe, I mean in France and you know it was front page news culturally and stuff i mean literally and a lot of tv performances across europe and things but in america it didn't it didn't catch hold uh as much as you know i had thought it should have but uh but it's one of the albums that were so that was very important to um my journey here you know because i at that point i had to make a choice of which direction i was going to go was i going to just you know, play the role of this primitive, you know, musician that people wanted me to be, or was I going to just be authentic and be my real self and and live an authentic as an authentic artist? And I I think that's what I was choosing. Well, that that's really fascinating. And by the way, that that song gets played on my editor um, Tom D'Antoni's radio show, the opening track in Twenty First Century Blues. Uh, he mm. pl- plays it on his uh, KMHD radio show, and is a great admirer of yours. And you've also played at the Waterfront Blues Festival. And uh, I think I go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. I just yeah. I was just so uh yeah so that 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 so in terms of I'm very interested in wanting to know this you part of one of the reasons that was creatively and where you, you musics that were so important to you you added hip hop and digital elements which I saw you do in concert were which worked wonderfully and appealed to even people like myself who come from an older kind of baby boomer like rural blues as well as electric it worked fa- fantastically you were using digital sampling of Sun House, and everybody was loving it. And so you were clearly showing that what you were trying to do creatively actually reaches audiences. Did you find uh, after the release of uh, the 21st Century Blues and moving back to the U.S. that you were able to draw um, younger audiences or younger African-American audiences to your music? What happened after the release of that album in terms of the what you cut or or what happened to your recording and your uh, performing career back in the U.S.? Um, no, back in the U.S., all that album did was confirm for a lot of the gatekeepers that uh, that I was an imposter and that uh, Jesus. that I was not an authentic artist. So right. It just it just confirmed. You know, it just made them more. Um, more, uh, it gave them more energy and more, you know, made them more, uh, uh, you know, it kind of stiffened their spine a little bit as far as to block me. Right. Uh, to try to, to fight against, you know, um, or to try to, you know, the whole thing is, you know, they've always felt they, they had to de- delegitimize me in order for them to continue with what they were doing. Right, and right. That, it, you know, in a way, if you know, it's like my music and my uh, the way I present my my art artistry. Uh, they uh, it exposes a lot of the um, the false narratives and and a lot of the false history that people have about this music 
and a lot of the perceptions and stuff that they have that that have been created are uh, uh, attached to us as blues artists. That a lot of it is just fairy tales. A lot of it is not true. And you know, for instance, you know the the blues didn't come from Mississippi. It, and people don't seem to know that. And that, and it's not a, a musical argument. It's just that there were never any human beings in Mississippi in the in the 1800s to create any blues. Right, right. Robert Johnson, Robert Johnson was not born in the Mississippi Delta. Uh, Muddy Waters wasn't born in the Mississippi Delta. Charlie Patton wasn't born. No, none of these early wasn't born in the Mississippi Delta. These people were not born there. Their parents weren't born there. No one lived in the Mississippi Delta until the 1900s. There were never, there was never any slaves in the Mississippi Delta. No black people ever lived in the Mississippi Delta. Whoa, whoa, whoa! whoa. At what point didn't black? Okay, so you, you all, as a, as a. By the way, you have a book uh, you've completed, and you are a blue scholar. But I did want to ask you a question. When you say there were no. Uh, black people in the Mississippi Delta, what period of time are you referring to? I'm referring to antebellum times. I'm oh, okay. okay. I'm, re- I'm referring to the, 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 the 1800s. Oh, okay. Sure. It wasn't until the 1900s that people began to move into the Delta. Right, right, right. Uh, Human being. So I, I have. I wanted to. Uh, I wanted to give you a slow. And and, and, uh, and go just ahead. to and just to and what. So what I'm saying is that in Louisiana we were already doing blues music before there were even people in the Delta. Right. 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 There right. Nobody, there was nobody in the Delta for us to be influenced by. Sure. They want to make it. The blues began in Mississippi. And somehow this thing they call jazz began in Louisiana, but these jazz musicians is playing blues and they got this blues idea from Robert Johnson or something. And it's like none of that ever happened. Right. You know, Louisiana musicians had never even heard of a Delta human being, let alone a Delta musician or a Delta music. It didn't exist. So we, you don't have to really argue about what kind of music they were playing there. Nobody. There were only black bears and wild panthers from Florida and wolves, and because until they cleared the delta, uh, cleared the cane breaks, chopped down the trees and stuff when the railroads came through. I see. And only then, and only then did human beings begin to move into the delta. There was never black people are not native, you know, um, to the Mississippi Delta. You know, they weren't black people weren't living there. When the pilgrims arrived, right, uh, absolutely, uh, very, very so, so provocative that, that, point. I, I have in my hand here, uh, which I think may be your least favorite book, um, uh, possibly, or one book that you're challenging with your own work. Uh, it's "The Land Where the Blues Began" by Alan Lomax, and uh, he uh, he opens up um, he opens up by claiming uh, in the. I wanted to just help. I wanted to help help me understand the argument because he says you know he sort of argues you know that the blues is born in mississippi and all that and they, and i wanted to just get your perception not perceptions but um uh he says that he says 
uh, it might be better. Uh, although this, his opening sentences of his of his of his book is, although this has been called the age of anxiety, it might better be termed the century of the blues after the moody song style that was born sometime around 1900 in the Mississippi Delta. And people who back up that point of view point to W. C. Handy claiming to hear someone in a in a train station in 1903 playing a, a slide. So just tell me the reason. Those myths aren't true because you're 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 a very provocative and well-read scholar on these issues, and so just tell me and our readers some reasons those kind of myths aren't true. Well, you're saying it yourself that those are myths. Well, I'm myths saying that, that I, 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 but that their view. Uh, in other words, I'm. Uh, it. Uh, well, the, those are I. I'm calling them myths because the, 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 some some critics and yourself view it as myth as mythology. But just help me help us, me and our readers understand some of the reasons those common uh, arguments and, uh, and framings are I wrong. I get it. Um, there, the thing is, is that uh, a person can say, you know, that that's the land where the blues begin, but then you got to provide some kind of and some kind of evidence or some some kind of, you know, are there any documentation or or how, how, how are you proving this? Right, how, right. How are you legitimizing? Do you have any contemporaneous, contemporaneous photographs? To Got it. That? Do, you have, do you have any writings, you know, any archaeological, do you have some pots and pans that people might have used in the Delta? In 1900, do you have a, a slave shack, or where did they sing this music? On what street? You know, right, um, right. Where, where did they gather and do this? Is are they? Is there any kind of archaeological evidence or science or anything to bag of what he's saying, or is he just saying some stuff, a fairy tale? Right. So the the the, 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 Lomax, the Lomax, go Lomax, ahead. Lomax, Lomax is a primitivist. Right. And he's speaking like a primitivist. Right. Right. And you know, W.C. Handy was traveling in the Delta and living in the Delta at that time as the Delta was beginning to be developed. Uh, like you said, in the early 1900s, he came there to teach and to lead a, a nine-piece. He was leading, they tell me in his writing, that he was leading a nine-piece orchestra, and, and most of those musicians were from Mississippi, not necessarily the Delta. Right. But they were from Mississippi. And... Uh, for him to hear somebody at a train station in 1903, if you take him at his word, okay, he heard this person playing the blues and it sounded strange. Well, why would that sound strange in the Delta? If that's where the music comes from, it will be ubiquitous. It will be all over the place. Okay, maybe good point. Of, maybe, maybe one of his musicians might know the guy's name. Hey, man, that's Jim. Right, Jim, right, man, right, 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 right. There's no other account. There's no other eyewitness. He don't know the guy's name. The guy probably could have been from Louisiana. Who knows where the guy was from? Absolutely. But, oh. but so, there's no there's no family members that that other there's no other witnesses. So I don't believe that the handy account ever happened. Okay. I don't think that I don't think that that's true. Now what is true about W. C. Handy um, getting inspiration in Mississippi? is that W.C. Handy, a little time after that claim, it is true that he was at a performing, him and his band was performing. W.C. Handy, for those that don't know, 
played kind of society music or like Sosa type march music. Right. He really he 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 didn't he'd never been to New Orleans although he was well traveled. But back then at this time, if you weren't in the room when Jelly Roll Martin or Tony Jackson or one of these early blues musicians were performing his music, you couldn't hear it because it wasn't on recording. Got it. And it wasn't on street music. So you had to be present or, you know, or nearby in earshot, you know, to actually hear the sound of, of the blues. So the, music, the Louisiana musicians were just starting to travel about the country. But what did happen when W.C. Handy did write a song called um, uh, Memphis Blues. Right. Uh, he was listening. He was at a gig. And the, the white audience that was there asked him to let this other band, you know, play during this break. And he he talked about that in, in, in his in his 1941 biography. But in his 1941 biography, he does he said he heard this band, and the audience started throwing coins and money on the stage at this at these musicians. Right. And it was kind of ragged, you know, black musicians or whatever. And they brought the house down playing a, a particular tune. And he said that guy gave him the idea to start doing this kind of music, which he called blues. Right. And he goes on to write St. Louis Blues and other tunes. Well, come to find out, the original manuscript named the gentleman. And if I'm if I'm correct in my remembrance, uh, his name was Prince McCoy. Okay. And Prince McCoy was from Louisiana. Got it. And Prince McCoy was leading a band there in the Delta, and the song that he was singing was called Whining Boy. And so, called, what was the song called? Whining Boy. Whining Boy. It's okay. A jet, it's a jet, whining Boy. B O Y. Like wine, drinking wine. Oh, Whining Boy. Okay, got it. Whining, whining Boy, and that's a, a famous song that Jelly Roll Martin wrote. And so W C Handy took that song and wrote Memphis Blues and other uh, things around that theme. Now, come to 1930s. Jelly Roll Martin said that W.C. Handy was a fraud. He wrote in Down Back Beat Magazine in 1938 that W.C. Handy was a fraud because W.C. Handy had, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, had basically stole his music. Right. And that W.C. Handy didn't invent the, didn't invent the blues, that he invented the blues. W.C. Handy said, I mean, uh, w, I mean um, Jelly Roll Martin said he invented jazz. He yeah, he called it jazz. Right, right. Yeah, because, and, go ahead. Because sorry. because at that time, the word the word jazz had come to uh, be the name that people used to talk about the blues. And so it's like if somebody say you didn't invent hip hop, I invented rap. Right. It's interchangeable in the 1930s. These two terms, rap. I mean, uh, jazz, jazz and blues, blues are interchangeable. Right. Like rap and hip hop is interchangeable. Well, so why, uh, go ahead. Sorry. One last thing. One last thing I'll say, just so the audience isn't confused. Why? And then all these years they said that General Martin was a kook because he, they were laughing like saying he claimed to invent the blues. I mean, invent jazz. But first of all, there is no such thing as jazz. It's a misnomer. But why would he be arguing about? Who, why would him and if, if jazz and blues was two different things, why would him and 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 uh, why would there be this um, poll maker, this dichotomy, or this argument between him and W. C. Handy about who invented it? 
because they support we live we see it as two different genres today but they it wasn't two different things then and the last thing i'll say about it is mississippi is finally acknowledged it as well and they have a anyone can look this up if you look up wc hand is enlightenment on google right it'll lead you it'll lead you to a a, a big sign that the state of Mississippi put up where W.C. Handy heard Prince McCoy singing Jelly Roll Martin's song. Wow. And they created a, they created a plaque on the, on, on the blues trail to acknowledge the fact that W.C. Handy heard Louisiana blues played by a Louisiana musician, a Louisiana song in Mississippi, and started writing songs on that thing because he saw how much white audiences liked it. Also, uh, presumably also black audiences liked it too, I'm assuming. In other words, like the music, uh, the blues blues sounds that he, let's say, expropriated. But W.C. Handy didn't really play for black audiences. Oh, okay. Well, that's important. Well, uh, let me, uh, you've been really generous with your time. If I could have a few more moments, I'd appreciate it. As your discourse indicates, you are a true scholar and a great researcher. I came to that when I was listening to another podcast, when you had actually read the lawsuit records of of the uh, jazz band dispute of these white jazz players claiming copyright credit, and you had looked at the actual court records or references to the court records in which the term jazz never appeared, even though the group had jazz in its name, but they kept referring to blues. When I saw that, I said, this man not only is an eclectic and talented and innovative musician, but a hell of a scholar. So I did want to ask you a a few more brief questions. Tell me a little bit about the kind of music you, your fans and and people who should and uh, I expect we'll be going to Blues Alley should be looking forward to. What what is the kind of range of styles that you play in when you have your full band uh, as opposed to when you, or may incorporate many of the same styles when you're performing solo but what is what is the full Chris Thomas band show like? What what styles of music, what can they expect and look forward to? Well, yeah, I mean um, I've recorded about 16 albums over the years and uh we talked about my folk um, style of blues where I, you know, play uh, acoustic guitar, or sometimes acoustic piano. And But yeah, with my band, uh, what people are going to hear me do is some of that material as well. They hear me do stuff from the movies like Old Brother Wartow, you know, the movies I've done, like with, I did the score to the Ray movie with Ray Chong and co-starred in that with Jamie Foxx. I mean, I, I, I try to carry a little bit of those things into my... You played Lowell that, Folsom, right? Is that... Is that do I yeah. Think, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. And uh, so um, out of my 16 albums and some of the soundtracks I've been invo- involved in with, you know, people will hear me do bits and pieces of all of that. And, um, you know, my main thing before I became known as the guy from Oprah the War because that was such a phenomenal success, uh, I was uh, the electric guitar, you know, hot shot guy, you know. Right. You plug in your Stratocaster and your well away on the electric guitar, you know, um, a la Jimi Hendrix or right. you know, Buddy Guy or something. And so that really was my thing. But uh, unfortunately, I haven't been showcased in a movie <laughs> doing doing that doing uh, with that instrument, you know. Uh, well, I, uh, I that is one of the points. Uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. 
Yeah, I mean, my, my fame came, uh, you know, uh, to wider audiences, you know, as this acoustic player, but um, but not but that's only a part of what I do. What when people see me live, they'll uh, you know really get to understand, you know, that my main uh, voice uh, is 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 really uh, is shown, you know, through the electric guitar. So they'll hear electric blues and. And like we talked about Jelly Roll Martin and things like that. I mean, the roots of the blues to me goes back to people like Jelly Roll Martin. And then it works its way forward. You know, everything from all the rock influences, hip hop influences, you know, even country and stuff. I mean, it all, it's all based in blues. Right. So I have I have a wide palette, you know, and, and, and lots of colors to paint with. Well, I will uh, definitely testify, uh, uh, and I'm planning to be there. I and will testify about how good an electric guitarist you are. Uh, it, 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 you know, it is the, because people know a lot when they actually hear, like your latest album, and I hope there's be a new one soon. You have incredible tone and great touch and feel that comes out of the guitar that makes you really in a league with people like Eric Clapton and others. And it's just, it, it, it actually just really pours out in a way that's so impressive. And I'm sure, uh, fans will, will, will love it. Now, I've got to ask you about this thing related to that album that I just couldn't believe. And I'd love to hear your explanation of it with briefly. I know we'll be taking up a lot of your time here, but, but this hotel voodoo controversy i just couldn't believe it uh, please, i read the i'm going to urge all our readers and listeners to go take a look at your uh, blog post that's referenced in um, about the grammy uh, controversy in which apparently they you nominated your album for uh, best contemporary blues album the album got good reviews and and yet they wouldn't consider it for the category and then said they don't consider you a blues man please explain i just couldn't believe it how did that happen uh to someone of your uh legacy with the blues i'm just i'm i was flummoxed i couldn't believe it <laughs> yeah well that goes back to my discovery like i said about folklore and you know the whole anthropologic type of uh way they like to paint you know many of us as somehow being, you know, these primitive, um, you know, people who, you know, can't read and write or whatever and, you know, kind of wakes up in the morning moaning the blues or something. I, I don't know what they have in mind for us, you know, but uh, the album was titled, like you said, you know, uh, Hotel Voodoo, and it had a song on it called The Blues Were Born in Louisiana. And it's a very simple statement. And like I said, you know, I was paying homage to, you know, the, the people who laid the, the, the foundation for what I'm out here able to do. And um, and because I was paying tribute to them, uh, the, the, the album had a very Louisiana uh, slant to it, uh, a Louisiana blues slant going back to Jelly Roll and, and King Oliver and all those greats like that. And so some some songs weren't just in four four time but two four time because right. of the early blues twelve bar two four time stuff and um and they denied they you know when I submitted the album I wasn't expecting to win or even be one of the finalists 
I just, but I didn't expect to be kicked off the ballot. Like I can't even be on the ballot with other blues artists. Like this is reserved for blues artists, and you're you're not one. <laughs> yet, um, yet, and this album is not a blues album. In other words, uh, for the people that might not know, the the prior year to me submitting my record, I didn't have a record come out the prior year. Um, Hotel Buddha was my first album in five years. What year did but that come out again? 2017. Okay. So this would have been the 2018 Grammy. Right. Uh, or was that 18? No, maybe 19. I don't know. I don't well, know let's say it's 20, you wrote your blog last, post uh, in November of 2018. So yeah, you were commenting in the fall of 2018. Yeah. So it was, the, it was, go ahead. But it, it, the album came out in 2017. Is uh, And the, gra- the Grammy ceremony would have been uh, this January past, 2020. Uh, 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 okay, I see. So we'll we'll figure. But it, the, the the Facebook begins. It's a. You, I'll just read you from your own a moment or two, and then please elaborate. It's official. The blues is no longer an African American music genre. I submitted my latest album, Hotel Voodoo, to the 2019 Grammy Awards for consideration for best contemporary blues album. But I learned from voters my name had been removed from all blues categories. And then you talk about how uh, Mick Jagger's uh, won in 2018 for their Blue and Lonesome album, and uh, and and so on. And you talk about the fact that uh, th- this is not personal; it's larger than me. It's about the usurpation of my culture. So tell me some more. I mean, you're very eloquent about these issues, but tell me how you reacted. What was your emotions when you? Were when you heard that, and did someone actually tell you over the phone or write an email to you saying you are not a bluesman? I, I want to know a little more about that with that encounter, how that worked. Yeah, well, it was a conversation that we had on the, on the phone with the with the with the um, what you would call the the head um, committee chairman of the Roots Music category. Right. You know. And uh, so when I found out I wasn't on the ballot, then I called my New Orleans rep to find, which I, which I said in the in the essay, you know, which uh, and I asked why, what happened? Because I, I, I was trying to vote on for my own record. I was like, I can't even find it on the ballot. Right. And he said, remove from the ballot. And it's like, what do you mean remove? Remove to. So basically, he put me in touch in Los Angeles with the chairman of the committee, and during the course of the committee with the chairman. He was trying to tell me what the blues was and why I wasn't blues. And he was telling me, you know, about, you know, slave songs and W.C. Handy. And, and, these <laughs> Man. Kind of and we was having this, this kind of conversation. And I'm like, this is 2018. I mean, what are we talking about here? Right. And, you know, I, and I, his, his ignorance was impenetrable, you know, so. I was highly offended, you know, just from the conversation. I mean, he's reading to me definitions written by people like, you know, Lomax or whoever, you know. Right. And and quoting stuff like this, and it's like, and it was just, it was just, it was maddening because he had taken control of my cultural expression. Right. Like, what gives him the right to tell me, someone who's born and and raised in a culture? in Louisiana that I can't express my culture the way I'm expressing it. 
Now, right. he don't have to like it. He don't have to dance to it or, or whatever. But, I mean, you're not going to control my cultural thoughts and my cultural con- expressions. This this comes from something much deeper than a, a, a Grammy Award. So, you know, and, and not only that, when the Rolling Stones, when Mick Jagger not only was allowed on the ballot, but Mick Jagger won the, won the award. He won it for uh, best. For, he won it for best traditional blues album. We're talking it, about right Nick in 2018. Jack. He won it in 2018. Right. Yeah. 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 The, the prior year. So right. I'm like, well, if, he, if he's winning it, then I guess you know anything goes now, but not me. Everybody can go into the ballot except Chris Thomas King. And so, to me, I understood halfway through our conversation that this is political, and they're trying to de- delegitimize me, and they've been trying to delegitimize me and the things that I have to say for years. Right. It's been going on, it's my whole career for, since since I was discovered by folklorists. They've been trying to steer me or, or guide me or hide me, you know, from, from the public. Right, and, right. And, and trying to, you know, delegitimize what I just told you, that there were never any black people in the Mississippi Delta. There was never any blues in the Mississippi Delta. There was there was no human beings that are making any music before a certain time just, period. Uh, 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 I did I did want to ask you about uh, what is your uh, tell me about the you I've seen references on your Facebook page and of course you've completed a book uh, that uh, as I understand it is a memoir a uh, part memoir and part scholarship about the Louisiana origins of the blues. Where, where does that stand? And also you've also mentioned about getting involved in a a long gestating Robert Johnson feature film. So where do both of those projects stand? Sure. Uh, I'll be happy to, you know, give you a little bit of, uh, of those things. But just to finish out what we were talking sure, about. Sure, sure. Um, you know, this year we had a movie out uh, by Queen called A Night at the Opera. Right. Now, I, when I was when, back in the day, I enjoyed that album. I thought it was a nice album. You know, but they got all kinds of stuff on this album, and they call it a night at the opera. But I'm pretty certain nobody at the Grammy stood around and debated uh, whether or not this goes in the rock category or not. Right, 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 right. Sure, they didn't debate. Oh, is this opera? Or should, is, does it belong in the opera? Category? Right. So what if I had, what if I had done a blues blues at the opera album? <laughs> right. You know, what, are they going to banish me because I'm doing blues at the opera now? I mean, what? So this is this is just some some uh, you know I don't like to call I don't like to throw the word racist around, but what I'm what I'm saying is that these ideas are, are primitivist ideas that belong in um, the, the 19th century when people had pseudo-scientific beliefs about what my culture is and what it isn't. Right. And they're basing what I'm, what they, their expectations of me is based on some kind of primitivist notion of what I am and what my culture is. And it's just, it's based on fairy tales, untruths, and lies. And, and when I say that, that the blues didn't come from Mississippi, it's not a, it's not a, um, a throwaway line or just something I'm just saying. I'm saying that people created this false history of, of African Americans for a purpose. 
you know, it, it, that's not our history, and we never were in the Mississippi. There was never any slaves there. There was never any people there. There was never any black people in the Mississippi Delta. This is this is something that people, most black people don't realize this. And this is something that they have been told by Nora Hurston, Langston Hughes, the Harlem Renaissance. This is something that, that is black history that never happened. And it's like, I can't, I have to tell people this, and sometimes I have to tell people maybe six, seven times that this is not African-American history and this never happened. Uh, you, I, you have to look, you have to look to Louisiana for blues history. And then when you look to Louisiana, you're not only going to find Jelly Roll Morton, but you're going to find a hundred piece black orchestra during slavery times that existed in New Orleans. And all these instruments, horns and violins and clarinets and things, the reason these instruments were in New Orleans had nothing to do with some military situation. Louisiana had 100-piece black orchestras, free people, free black people in the 1830s, right. 1840s, 1850s, 1860s. They had a, a large amount of free black people there. They called them Creole, but not... It doesn't have anything to do with their skin being light, but these people were wealthy. Some of them were slaves. They had their own theater. They had their own hundred-piece orchestra, and they created music. And so, music has been the Louisiana is the foundation not only of blues, but it's the foundation of American music. And I would argue we live in the blue period of music. There's been a there's been a um, uh, a Baroque period, a Romantic period, a classical period. We're in the blue period. We've been in the blue period ever since General Martin wrote uh, uh, New Orleans Blues and published it in 1915. So there's a whole deep history of African-American culture and African-American music that the blues is based on. It had 100 years of development by the time it showed up in the honky-tonks and jib joints in New Orleans in the 1890s. And this is a part, this is not a part of African American history. American history has been erased in a way. But I'm here to tell people that I might be one of the last, you know, uh, purveyors of this culture. But if somebody asks me about my culture, I'm going to tell them that this is my culture. And if somebody believes that, that there was some big, you know, uh, theater or some club, a jug joint in the eight doing slavery or, People got together in Mississippi and played. Just show me where. There's not even a slave shack in the Mississippi Delta. Now, so, uh, I, I did want to... Well, hold on, hold on. Sorry, sorry. I'm, I'll say one more thing. Because I, I have to say this to people because they don't believe it. And I'm not. And they're going to treat me like Jelly Roll Martin, like Chris Thomas King is a kook. So we, we got to ban him from the blues category. He's not blues because he don't fall in line with our narrative of his culture. Right, right, he, right. He don't, he don't accept the narrative that we have for his, and, I, and no, I don't accept it. And so this is not about music. It's bigger than music. You know, it's cultural, yes, but it's more than, so um, I just want to make one, one, one point, and I'll try to wrap this up with some of your other things, but... No, go ahead. I'm fine. I, uh, as much time as you want. I, I'm very eager to hear what you have to say. I think, 
I think I think I think I, I think I think I've said enough. I think I think people, uh, you know, probably get the point now. I mean, it's really it it, it really is. Uh, there's a lot of things that people said and wrote about African Americans uh, to justify slavery and Jim Crow and things, and wrote about our our intellect and things like this, and uh, to try to justify the way they treat us, the way cops shoot us today, and nobody. Well, he's a criminal. Or he's a He's a, you know, some black, dangerous black person, and people just accept it. And, you know, because you've been dehumanized. And so this whole folk blues thing is just something that people created. Uh, and they just pick some place like the Delta and try to, because it, it emulates the Appalachians or something. Right, right. Where, you know, you had illiterate English, Anglo people doing music and stuff and they try to find they try to take the delta and use the delta as a but it's a false equivalency first of all nobody no african americans were ever in the delta and second of all our culture you know uh, musical culture is very 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 different from the appalachians Right. Well, let me ask you. Let me. Uh, let me. Can I interrupt for a second on a question, which no, is about the? No. no, no oh, go ahead. I'm no, sorry. No, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. Because the reason the reason why people need to hear my explanation and hear the depth and and hear my disgust with even having to go into the detail and explain this stuff is because they can't Google and get this information. I'm telling you. Absolutely. You just can't Google. You're not going to Google and find what I'm saying. You're not going to just go to your library and find it. You're not just, you know, it's not out there. And so I'm trying to give people some nuggets that they can, it's scattered, you know. You're not going to find it in just one book or something. I've written a book, which I hope to have published soon. But I'm giving them some things to think about, and I'm trying to say to them that what happened in Appalachia um, when J Francis James Child collected all those folk songs, you know, the old Scarborough Fair and all that kind of stuff there. Right. They created folk music, what we call folk music, and that's legitimate. But that's not African. Right. You can't have African music, African, you ain't going to have African folk music without drums and rhythm in it. Sure. So singing, singing a milkmaid in England, in 16th century England, Singing while you know milking a cow or something like that's Anglo that's Anglicized stuff. That's not Africanized music. Sure. I mean we never we never did that in Africa. We didn't do that in Louisiana. It's not a part of our culture. But then Lomites would try to create Let Belly or create Chris Thomas King or create these kinds of people to perpetuate an Anglicized narrative or an Anglicized version of what they think that our culture is. But our culture don't have anything to do with that, and they'll tell you that the blues is sad and melancholy and depressed and down in the dumps, and that's an Anglo definition of a Creole word. The word blues, it means, it comes from the old French word, sacre diem, or sacre blue. But the Creolization of the word, which most people in Louisiana spoke French at this time, is just called the blues. It means like it's obscene or blasphemy or, or whatever. But this, there's a whole different culture from where, that the blues comes from that my music represents, and I'm trying to represent it the best that I can. And it really don't have anything to do with W.C. Handy's account and Lomax's account. Oh, 
this is all bullshit. It never, uh, this stuff never happened. There's no factual basis of it. And if anybody do any research, and we don't, they don't have to, they don't have to know anything about music. But if they do any research and know anything about geography, they'll just know that Teddy Roosevelt was hunting bear in the, in the Delta at the time. Right. Every handed thing that people were there playing the blues. So that's my soapbox. I just it takes oh, well, I'm glad I'm glad to hear because I've read a lot of the blues and I love people who challenge conventional wisdom. And you're doing that. Elijah Wall did that a bit in his book called Escaping the Delta, when she critiqued the notion that you know that uh, that that the, the folk blues and the was you know what Robert Johns recorded was was not in a representative of his full scope of work. I did want to ask you about two points that you're very compelling and thoughtful and well-researched uh, line of reasoning and, that, and, and thinking about these very important issues is one is, do you feel that people like, not, not, not John Lomax, but Alan Lomax or William Ferris or Jim O'Neill and other folklorists in Mississippi and in other rural areas viewed or the people who rediscovered, you know, like Nick Pearls and Dick Waterman who rediscovered blues artists in the 60s. Do you feel they were motivated by r racist attitudes about wanting to portray blacks as primitives when uh, my reading of their view work is, is that they viewed these as great artists? who deserve to be uh, honored as you know f phenomenally talented and sophisticated musicians and were respectful of the culture that that's my reading of some of those people's works not all of them i just wanted your take on that well i mean we've talked a long time i mean i don't want to disparage anybody but um i think that see what what happened when I was doing research in my book, I went and talked to these people. And then just like, see, when when a lot of these guys, Nick Pearls and some of these guys, Dick Waterman, when they were young people, and, and Skip James and some of these old Delta Bluesmen were older people. Right. They went to these people at the hospital and went to them and talked to them to get their stories or to get their the last bits of breath that they had to put into a song they wanted to get you know get this story from them right well i did the reverse i went to these anglo folklore that's great i went to their home and interviewed them talked to them and recorded conversations with them <laughs> that's and so got this cool before they croaked and died <laughs> I brought along some whiskey to try to get them drunk and try to get them to talk plainly and, you know, without all this um, academic stuff. And, you know, just like they did old blues guys. And so it's just the reverse. And what did, you, what did you find uh, from that, uh, you know, close-up interview with a lot of these folklorists and others? Well, you're going to have to read the book. I'll read the book. Uh, what's the, do you have a working <laughs> title for it? The book is called The Blues, The Authentic Narrative of My Music and Culture Therewith. 
That's fantastic. I, I can't wait to read it. And I did want to ask just very briefly, in a sense, briefly, what about that Robert Johnson movie that I've seen you reference? Just as there's anything you could tell us and uh, uh, about it that's coming up that we should know about or look forward to or how we keep tabs about what, how it's being developed? Well, it's one of these projects where, you know, it's, we've been developing it now for about going on four years and we've already shot um, bits and pieces. But um, it's, the, it's the kind of project that you really, I'm not at liberty to speak much about other than the fact to say that that I'm one of the executive producers on it and it has the uh, blessing of Robert Johnson's grandkids, you know. That's um, great. His family. Have you ca- have you cast Robert Johnson yet, or that's still open? Uh, we had someone play Robert Johnson in some of the earlier uh, uh, footage that we did, but that was mostly for investors. But like I said, uh, I-, I can't say much about it other than the fact to say that I'm an executive producer on it and that uh, I will be uh, re-recording uh, and doing the Robert Johnson music, the score, I'll be the musical um, scorer for the film, but I will not be playing Robert Johnson in the film. Right. Well, listen, Chris, you've been more than generous with your time. I really appreciate it. I hope our readers and listeners will understand just how brilliant you are, and they're also in for a great show at Blues Alley. Uh, some people have referred in the past to Room Full of Blues. I think you've got a mansion full of blues, and <laughs> there are many mansions of blues, and you've you've got a good stake in all of them, and there you contain multitudes when it comes to blues. So uh, I'm sure I, I and uh, and people in D.C. and people around the country who hear this and read this we'll be looking forward to seeing you in action sometime in the very near future and this week at Blues Alley so thanks again for giving uh, the readers and listeners of Oregon Music News your time and we're looking forward to uh, everything you're coming up to on so many fronts so thanks again for being such a uh, phenomenal talent and being so scholarly about your your genre so it's really fantastic I really I really appreciate it thank you for everything and look forward to seeing you uh, perform yeah thanks you're welcome and um, I'll see you down the road